Welcome again, everyone. Welcome to Smyrna Campus. We love you guys. Glad you're connected there today. Welcome everybody connecting online. We're glad you've joined us online today that we can have that way of still connecting uh, from wherever you are today. Thank you for being a part of that. I want to start today a little differently. I want to start with a prayer time together. Smyrna Campus, I want us all to do this together. Everybody online, I want us to just have some prayer time together as God's people. Uh, I want you to do this all the time, right? We need to be praying without ceasing all the time. But once in a while, it's good to call everybody together in corporate prayer together as God's people. And I've got several things I want to mention. Some of them are very recent things that we're aware of that we need to put on that prayer list for us to pray for right now, but to keep praying for uh, even as you go through the rest of your day and the week and the months ahead. Uh, a couple of them uh, connected to families here in the church. Uh, Larry uh, Rocket passed away uh, this past week. Uh, his, we want to be praying for his family, his wife Barbara, his son Tim, and their family that are very active at the Smyrna campus down there. Uh, we want to be lifting up that family in prayer as they go through this time of, of loss. We also want to be praying for uh, Jeff Champ and his family. Uh, Jeff's very active uh, here at the Antioch campus, and his brother passed away. We want to be praying for Jeff and his family with that. Um, we've got another member that uh, such a faithful member for so many years who taught classes here for years and years, uh, Charles Hudson, uh, a great brother in Christ. Charles is very ill. Uh, they've called in hospice care for him at home right now. Be praying for Charles, if you would, and his, his family during this time. Uh, and of course, you've seen the news reports, the, uh, the flooding that just took place uh, yesterday and then overnight still more flooding that's taken place over 10 now 10 confirmed dead I think last report I saw uh, 40 or so missing uh, their rescue crews out right now still trying to find people uh, people trying to jump in there and help every way that they can uh, there we want you to to be praying for those families. Uh, and if you're looking for a way to help out in a tangible way, I want to recommend a couple of organizations that are really good about that. Uh, one of them is a local one from the Churches of Christ disaster relief uh, efforts that they do. Uh, it's right here, a local organization. If you want to help out through them, you know the, the money you donate or the time you donate, they get right on the site and help out uh, hands-on with things like that if you want to help out. There are other good organizations like that. Another one that does more internationally all over the place, but we've worked with them before, is the IDES, International Disaster Emergency Services. They're an organization that we, we voluntarily work together with through our, our fellowship of churches, and they do a great job, too, of stepping in there with practical needs and helping out. So if you want to get more information about either of those organizations, you can Google them or you can call us or email us, and we'll be glad to get you the connecting information for those organizations. Then, of course, we've got the earthquake that took place in Haiti. We've already, thanks to your generosity, uh, made a donation from our church through, for Haiti relief. Uh, we partner there with an organization called CORE. Uh, we've worked with them before. We've had them come to Lakeshore and share some of their work. Uh, they especially work with Haitian farmers and helping them take care of needs for their families and support their churches. Uh, we've partnered with them many times. And CORE is on the ground there in Haiti helping, and I want you to be praying uh, for the people of Haiti, and you can partner with CORE if you'd like to make a donation there. And then, of course, Afghanistan and what's going on there. Uh, all the people of Afghanistan are suffering right now and in turmoil right now. Uh, we have brothers and sisters in Christ and missionaries on the field there that don't know that they'll get out alive. Uh, uh, many of them know that when they met for worship today, 
they may be hunted down and executed today and they're meeting anyway. They're praising God anyway. They're, they're serving God together anyway. Some of us didn't show up today because we were a little tired because we stayed out too late last night, right? And here they are risking their lives every time they come together in the name of Christ. True commitment there. Now, there's not much you can do financially to help in Afghanistan, okay? But what you can do is lift them up in prayer. In fact, the contact we've had with people on the ground in Afghanistan, that's all they're asking for is prayer. They believe that's the best thing you can do for them right now. Because if money goes there, there's very little chance they'll ever see a penny of it with the Taliban in charge right now. So we need to be praying. And for our military, uh, who have already served there in the past, but who are still on the ground. we still got military personnel there now, too. And we want to be lifting them up in prayer as well as they serve in that place with uh, how risky it is right now. And the tide is turning quickly, friends, with uh, people's passports being confiscated and things like that to trying to get back to the U.S. The tide is turning fast. Please be praying for those people that have been left behind there, even people that have helped the U.S. and served with us there that are being left behind. We need to be lifting them up in prayer. It's a tragic situation. Uh, I know there are many other prayer needs. Uh, one other one that is very much on the minds here and around the world is the COVID situation with the Delta variant uh, spreading so quickly. Uh, so many more people sick and uh, hospitalized. Hospitals are now being overrun again with cases with COVID. Uh, and our healthcare workers are being overwhelmed again after being tired already from all that they've been doing and the help that they've been giving during this time. Uh, friends, this has not only not gone away, it has resurged big time. And we need to be praying for one another, uh, be praying that we'll have wisdom and discernment in how we respond and the choices that we make to care for ourselves and others and uh, for others that are out there trying to help with this situation. Pray that our leaders would have wisdom in making decisions too on uh, how to respond to this in the best way possible. Uh, pray for the church leaders, not just here at Lakeshore, but around the world that are trying to still maneuver through dealing with COVID and still trying to continue the work of the ministry of the church. It's not an easy thing. I can tell you this, pastors and staffs at every church around the country are tired just like you are with having to deal with this. And they need our prayers big time to continue to serve God and, and work through this in the best way we can to still do the ministry God has called us to do. And it's not easy to make those choices and have to face what we're facing again with the resurgence of COVID. So those are just some of the main ones I wanted us to take some time and pray about today. I know you know other individual needs that you can be lifting up to. I wanna remind you that when you have prayer needs, you can submit them to us in a lot of different ways. You can do it through our website. There's a, a tab you can click on there to submit prayer requests online. Uh, you can do it on the cards in the back of the chairs. You can write down prayer requests there. You can just drop those in the offering box or, or leave them out at the information counter. Uh, there are, uh, uh, you can email us or call us, of course, at the office here with any prayer requests you might have. Uh, we want to pray for you. We want to know about those needs. And each week as a staff, we pray for those needs that we know about. Uh, as elder team, we pray for those needs that we know about. You can know that when you submit those requests, we are joining you and praying for those needs that you have there. I want to lead us right now in prayer. I just want you to just bow your head and just close your eyes and let this, 
list of things I just mentioned go through your heart and mind and filter it there and present it to God, knowing that his spirit intercedes for us, even when we don't know the right words to say. He delivers our yearnings of our heart to the Father on our behalf. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. We boldly approach your throne of grace because you tell us we can do that through Jesus. Thank you, Father, for giving us access to your throne, to your power, to your love, to your provision, to your care, to your compassion. Father, we've mentioned some specific needs we know about right here in our church family and in our community and around the world. Father, you're not caught off guard by any of these things. You know exactly all the details of all these circumstances. And you're there. You're here with us right now. You're there with those families that are grieving. You're there with the people in Afghanistan right now and what they're facing and the people dealing with the floods and, and with COVID and all the other things that we're dealing with. Sometimes, Father, it can be overwhelming. You know we feel that. You actually sent your son here in the flesh. He experienced exactly the things we are experiencing right now. And that equips him uniquely to help us, to provide for us, to encourage us, to strengthen us when we need it the most. So we call on you, Father, to provide all that's needed and to give us the wisdom and discernment to do what we need to do in this process to help and minister and love and care for people the way you've called us to. But Father, more than anything else, remind us of this. You promised us, you you told us, in this world we're going to have trouble, but you've also told us this is not our home. And Jesus reassured us that he's overcome this world. And that's where our hope really lies. Thank you, Father, that we can have hope in the midst of every difficulty we face. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Please continue those prayers as we move forward. Well, we are continuing our series, and boy, do we need it again, right? Be encouraged. That's what we've been talking about through this series in 2 Corinthians. And it's a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth because in his first letter, he had had to discipline them and be pretty hard on them and harsh with them with some of the things that were going on that needed correction. And now he writes this second letter to encourage them, uh, to build them up again, to help them move forward with their walk in life. And in the section we're looking at today, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, if you want to be turned there or pulling that up on your smartphone or tablet, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. In this chapter, he begins with talking about some things that are happening that they're still needing to think about responding well to. He wants to encourage them not to allow themselves to be deceived by the false teaching that's rising up among them. And that's my encouragement to all of us today is that God gives us the resources we need so that we won't have to be deceived in our own Christian walk. Uh, I don't know how many of you are into this. I, I sometimes like to read about these things and research some of these things. Some of the hoaxes that have been uh, brought about in our culture over the years. Uh, way back in 1911, there was this big hoax 
It was this big battle going on with teaching evolution and evidence for evolution, Darwinian evolution. And there was this archaeological discovery that was made that was later, later referred to as the Piltdown Man. Now, I don't know how many of you remember the story or studied this in science or anything, but the Piltdown Man was a discovery they had made that they thought proved the missing link existed, that there was this missing link, part ape and part man, and they found this skeletal remains that they thought really supported the Darwinian theory that we evolved from apes and that this was that missing link. See, the real key to Darwinian evolution is you got to find those in-between links, right, that, that show that it actually happened the way they said it progressed evolutionary-wise. So, so they thought they had discovered this, and it was a great thing. In fact, before they found out it was a fake, it already had gotten into some books, biology books in some of our schools that the, the missing link had been found. Later on, though, it was discovered it was truly a forgery where they had put some bones together. They had even altered some of the bones and a lower jaw skull of an orangutan. They had filed down the teeth to make it look like an ape's jaw and done all kinds of things to make it look like it was a missing link discovery. And it wasn't at all. Now, that doesn't prove or disprove evolution one way or the other, but it does prove that people will go to a, a great effort to try to support something they're trying to promote and prove and get other people on board with, even when it's dishonest sometimes. People will do that. It wasn't just that. Uh, some of you may remember, you're old enough to remember back in 1980, way back then, right? Way back in 1980 in the Boston Marathon, there was this lady named uh, Rosie Ruiz who won the Boston Marathon, the first woman to, to cross the line there in the Boston Marathon. But it was a little suspicious because not only was it in record time, it was in an unheard of record time. Nobody had ever even come close to the time she finished the Boston Marathon in. And, and the other suspicious thing was she had not ever run a time similar to that in any race that had, been re had a record of, ever. So they began to check it out a little bit. And what she had done was start the race, sneak off in the crowd early on in the race. She went and had something to drink and something to eat. She traveled by taxi up to where the finish of the race was, about a mile before the finish, jumped back in through the crowd and jumped into the race, the first woman, and won the whole thing, it looked like, right? It was a hoax for a little while. People thought they were praising what a great run she had had that day but it was uncovered as certainly false. Well, in 1983, there was a discovery, we thought, made of uh, the secret diaries of Adolf Hitler, it was called. The secret diaries of Adolf Hitler. And, and they had some experts verify that the writing matched up with Hitler's writings that they already knew were valid and, and the signature was valid and all that. They said it all matched up. And so they started trying to auction off the person who was said they had found these, discovered these diaries, was trying to auction them off and make some money. The bidding, even among the experts, had gotten to over $3 million for these diaries until it was discovered they were a forgery too. Well, but the experts had verified them, right? They weren't really forgeries, were they? The experts said they were real. But what actually happened is somebody confessed to knowing the story of who did it and how they did it. One of the most famous forgers, forgerers of all time, of that day and time, had written these things himself to make some money off of them. 
You see, we could be fooled, can't we? Especially when we want to believe something bad enough. We battle today more than ever, thanks to TV and internet and all that, with what has been called, you know the term, fake news, right? Fake news. What's real news and what's fake news? What do you believe in the news and what do you not believe? What do you believe on social media? What do you not believe on social media? It got so bad so quickly that they even started an industry where now people get paid to be what? We know the term, fact checkers, right? We have paid fact checkers trying to check information as it goes out to confirm whether or not it's true or not. But here's the problem. How do you know you can believe the fact checkers, right? A lot of people, myself included, have gone to Snopes.com to check out some stories. How many of you have ever used Snopes.com? A lot of people, right? It came out just recently that the CEO of Snopes has been charged with plagiarizing dozens of articles that he posted under his name and a pseudonym, a false name that he was using to post these articles. So how do you know if Snopes is reliable or not? It's confusing, isn't it? It's hard to know what you can believe out there and what you can't believe. We all know that Anybody that's speaking or anybody that's writing something already has their own personal beliefs and a slant to what they're doing. Even when we don't mean to sometimes, what we're doing and the way we're doing it is, is influenced by what we already believe about it, right? So we're putting that slant on it when we talk about it. For example, I'm a Christ follower and I love God and I believe God's word is true. So when I speak about God's word, I put that slant on it because I am convinced that that's the truth. Maybe you are too. So it's hard to sort through and determine what can we really count on, what can we really believe. Well, in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul gives us some guidelines here that I want us to use moving forward. I want to encourage you to use these guidelines to sort through all the stuff and find your way to what you can count on and trust in. Let's pick up here. I'm going to just read through it first, and then we'll look at these three principles we need to follow. 2 Corinthians 11, beginning with verse 1. I hope you will put up with me in a little foolishness. Yes, please put up with me. Again, Paul's using a little bit of humor here, but he's using it to get them, you know, to understand, all right, I just want to talk to you about something. Uh, relax, it's okay, but I, I need to tell you about this. I need you to hear this, okay? All right, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. So he's saying, okay, you're allowing yourselves to believe stuff too quickly, too easily, that you're not even checking out. That's what he's saying. You're not being discerning. And you're accepting things that you shouldn't be accepting as if they're true. You think we might be in danger of that sometimes in our culture? Absolutely. Okay. 
Verse 5, I do not think that I'm in the least inferior to those super apostles. Remember last week we talked about how they criticized him because he wasn't one of the original 12, right? And now there are others rising up claiming to be apostles that know more than the Paul knows. And they're claiming they're, they're, they're greater in their relationship with God and insight and knowledge than Paul is. He says, I, I don't think I'm in the least inferior to those super apostles. I may indeed be untrained as a speaker. Remember one of their criticisms of Paul? Well, his speaking is not very impressive in person, right? So, yeah. He says, well, I may not be a great trained speaker. That's a, but, he says, I do have knowledge. We have made this perfectly clear to you in every way. Was it a sin for me to lower myself in order to elevate you by preaching the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by receiving support from them so as to serve you. Now, he uses robbed Again, with humor, he doesn't mean he robbed other churches. He means I got support from other churches. I didn't get it from you. I got it from them to go serve you. That's what he's talking about. So I, could, I should have been expecting you to support me, but instead I, counted, I took care of this with other people supporting me. So he says in verse 9, And when I was with you and needed something, I was not a burden to anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied what I needed. I've kept myself from being a burden to you in any way and will continue to do so. As surely as the truth of Christ is in me, nobody in the regions of Achaia will stop this boasting of mine. Why? Because I, do, uh, because I do not love you. God knows I do. And I will keep on doing what I'm doing in order to cut the ground from under those who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things they boast about. For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light, it's not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. So Paul is saying there's some people out there now claiming to be super apostles with great insight that they have. But he's saying what they're telling you and teaching you is false doctrine. It's not the truth. But you are accepting it easily enough, he says, as if it is true. I'm convinced that that's happening today, aren't you? That there are many false teachers out there. So if there are false teachers out there, then we need to learn from Paul. What are some things he specifically mentions here that are steps we could take, principles we need to follow to keep ourselves from being deceived? Well, the first thing is he talks about in verse 2 is to be jealous for the truth. Be jealous for the truth. He says, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a virgin to him. He's saying, I want you to know that the church is supposed to be the bride of Christ. I want to present the bride to Christ as the pure bride that, that he deserves. And when you listen to false teaching and you believe and accept false teaching, you are not being true to Christ anymore. Like you need to be as his bride. And so we need to learn to be jealous for the truth. Look at verse 4 again. If someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. He, he's saying you're hearing other things than the true gospel that we presented to you to start with, and you're accepting it as if, oh, okay, that's fine. We might, that, that must be true too, when they don't even agree with each other. Haven't you heard the expression today, well, what's true for you may not be true for me, and what's true for me may not be true for you. Here's the thing about truth. It's either true or it's not. 
And if they conflict with each other, they can't both be true. So he's saying be jealous for the truth. Desire the truth. When you really are jealous for the truth, you won't just accept things blindly. I can remember a little over 10 years ago when uh, they were building the uh, Tennessee Islamic Center just two doors down from us here. They bought that theater. They were uh, doing a fundraiser to pay for the theater and uh, redo it as a, a, the Islamic Center for Tennessee. Well, when one of the uh, imams came to visit me uh, here at Lakeshore. He had asked to set up a time to visit. And I, I, I knew uh, a lot about Islam and I'd done a lot of study with it and I knew they were coming in. But one of the first things he said to me when he sat down in my office is, I wanted to come sit down and talk with you. There's no reason in the world why we can't be in unity and work together because I believe in Jesus too. He was telling the truth. They do believe in Jesus and Islam. They believe Jesus existed. They believe he was a prophet. But they believe he was only a prophet like the other prophets. They believe our Bible is not true and accurate, that it's been changed and, and perverted over the years to say things about Jesus that aren't really true. I, I looked at him and I said, I think we can live in harmony with each other, but I don't know that we can be in unity when it comes to Jesus because what you believe about Jesus is not the same thing I believe about Jesus. You believe he existed and that he was a prophet. I believe he's God. That's two different things. I believe he's king of kings and lord of lords. That's two different things than what you believe about Jesus. And we can be nice to each other, and there's some things we can agree on and work together on, but, but we're not going to be in unity on this Jesus thing if that's what you believe about Jesus, and that's what I believe about Jesus. Those two can never go together. He understood, and he shook his head. You see, he didn't run into many Christians who are equipped to do that, who are equipped to say that. Because like the Corinthians, we just say, oh, well, that must be true if you're telling me that, right? You believe in Jesus, I believe in Jesus, it's all good. It's not the same. And so we have to be careful not to just be gullible to wording or charisma or, or good slick presentation that makes it sound like it's the same thing we're supposed to be believing and following and teaching as Christ followers. In 1 John chapter 4, John says this beginning with, verse, uh, beginning with verse 1. He said, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. First of all, a little theology point here. People are talking about Antichrist is going to come one day. John said he's already here when he wrote the letter, 1 John. Antichrist was already here at work. And what Antichrist was doing was telling falsehoods about Jesus, teaching untruths about Jesus. That's the work of the Antichrist. Now, you can sit back and wait all you want, but that's been going on the whole time. And we need to be equipped to defend ourselves against the work of Antichrist because he's already here working has been the whole time, according to the clear teachings of John here. So if, if that's true, then what he's saying here is what they're going to tell you is something different about Jesus. He says, if they don't tell you that Jesus is God come in the flesh, then they are the work of Antichrist. That's what's happening. 
So I want to encourage you not to be deceived by people that are teaching something different about Jesus than what the Bible says about Jesus. No matter how well-versed they are, no matter how slick they are, no matter what a, a great presentation they have, no matter how good the website looks, no matter what, if they're saying something different about Jesus than what the Bible says about Jesus, that is not truth that you need to swallow and accept and digest and use. It's falsehood. It's false teaching. You can know that's not from God if they don't teach the truth about Jesus right up front. If they don't teach what the Bible says about Jesus, it's not from God. It's not his truth. So we have to equip ourselves. And one way we do that is to be jealous for the truth. In Acts 4.12, as clear a statement as you can get, it says this. Salvation is found in no one else, talking about Jesus, for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind whereby we must be saved. Why should we be jealous for the truth? Because there's only one that we can be saved through. His name is Jesus. We need to be jealous for the truth about Jesus. We need to hold on to that. We need to defend that. We need to teach that. Now, we need to do it in love. There's no reason we have to be hateful about it. There's no reason we have to fight each other over it. We just have to be solid in what we believe and not allow ourselves to be deceived by false teaching that's out there. The second thing is we need to be alert to Satan's schemes. Look at verse 3 again. He says, I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. He's not saying they've ha this has happened yet. He said, I'm afraid that what's going to happen is you're going to allow yourselves to be so deceived that it leads you away from your pure devotion to Christ that you did have, that you do have now. I don't want you to lose that. I don't want you to be led away from that because you're buying into this false teaching that you're hearing out there. So be alert to Satan's schemes. Uh, he talks about Eve being deceived. Let's go back for a minute to Genesis 3. Let's look at that account, beginning of verse 1. What happened in Genesis 3? It says, The serpent was more crafty than serpent is Satan, was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from uh, the trees in the garden, fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Did Eve understand what God had told her about the tree? About all the trees? About the fruit in the garden? Did she understand? Was it clear for her in her mind? Yeah, she understood completely what God had said about those things. So that's, that's how you start equipping yourself to face Satan is you're jealous for the truth, right? You know and understand what the truth really is. But then here's the response of Satan. Verse 4. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. There was a three-step process that Satan used to deceive Eve. He's used it since then the whole time. Three-step process. The first step was this. He questioned God's word. Did God really say you shouldn't eat from the fruit of that tree? Right? He's putting that doubt into Eve's mind. And that's what any false teacher will try to do is he'll start there, get you to doubt what you know God's word really says. Maybe that's not really what God meant. Maybe that's not what really what God said. Maybe I misunderstood that. 
So then he goes from questioning God's word. The second step is he denies God's word. He didn't say, did God really say that and leave it there? He said, you will not certainly die. He just flat out denied what God had told Eve. He said, that's not true. You will not die if you eat that fruit. You see, that's the next step of a false teacher. If he gets you to doubt, then he can get you to believe a lie. And Satan takes us through that process to the third step. And the third step is he reversed God's word. He says, oh, not only will you not die, you'll be made like God if you eat that fruit. You see the three steps. You question God. Then you deny the truth of God's word. And if you deny the truth of God's word, then you can believe even the opposite of what God's word says. If you don't accept God's word as true, you don't have it as the authority. It opens you up to believe anything, no matter how contradictory it is to the word of God. Satan's a liar and a deceiver. The scripture says he has been from the beginning. We better equip ourselves. We better be jealous for the truth. And then we better be alert to Satan's schemes because he's still working. In Isaiah 5.20, it says this, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. In other words, woe to those who reverse God's word and say that what God says is good is bad and what God says is bad is good. God's judgment's reserved for those people. We need to know God doesn't want us being deceived like that because there's no other name under heaven whereby we could be saved but the name of Jesus. If we're led away from Jesus and the truth about Jesus, we can't be saved. We can't have eternal life. We can't have the blessings of God in our lives. So we need to be jealous for the truth and we need to be alert to Satan's schemes. But there's a third step, a third principle, and that is be discerning about your sources that you go to for truth. Be discerning about your sources. Verse 4, remember he said here in verse 4, if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, right? He's saying, consider the source. If anybody comes to you preaching something other than what you heard as the truth originally from God's word, then you need to have antennas go up immediately. You need to have bells and whistles going off. You need to have an alert signal coming on as soon as they start telling you something different about Jesus than what you know the Bible says about Jesus. That should be a warning sign immediately. He goes on in verse 7, right? Was it a sin for me to lower myself in order to elevate you by preaching the gospel? What he's talking about there is Another thing that you need to remember, guys, with what was happening with those false apostles is they were doing it to make money. They were getting people to give them money to support them in this new gospel. And in order to get them to support them, they were saying, we have superior knowledge and insight to Paul and those other guys. You don't need to be supporting them. You need to be supporting us instead. And if you're not discerning enough to know the difference, you might... Send them your paycheck, right? I need to support that ministry. Even if they're not teaching what the Bible says about Jesus. Do you think any of that's going on today? Do you think there might be a little bit of that still happening? Even among Christ followers today? Absolutely. No doubt about it. 
So if we're going to be discerning about the sources, the first thing is beware of anybody that claims to be teaching a new gospel, okay? A new gospel. You know what I mean by that is something different than the original. What the Bible says about the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, what the Bible says about who Jesus is, that, that's the original message. If somebody comes to you with anything other than that, you might label it, it's a new gospel, right? It's something new and different. And new sounds good, right? Only here's the thing, it's not always new and improved. Sometimes it's new and false. I don't know how you could approve on the original gospel to you. And yet there are people out there trying to do it, trying to make you think that that's what they're doing. I got a phone call recently. Uh, they, uh, they, they, uh, my assistant answered the call and said, uh, this person's on the phone. They asked if there was a pastor available. They had some questions about the Bible. Doesn't that sound innocent enough, right? <laughs> now, I've been around a long time. I know that's not always just an innocent question, right? But that's the way they approached it so they could get through to a pastor, right? I just, I got a question about the Bible. I'd like to talk to a pastor about it. So she transfers the call to me, and I answer the call, and immediately he starts saying, well, do you believe in the Trinity? So I know he's already got an agenda, right? He's got, he called with a specific thing that he wants to argue over. And he didn't do it very nicely the way he said it. So I knew right away, this guy's angry and he wants to do, you know, convince somebody of something. And I said, well, uh, who is this? I got his name. And I said, well, this is Pastor Randy. Thank you for calling. I, you know, we always try to answer any questions that you might have. I said, let me start by saying the word Trinity doesn't appear anywhere in Scripture. So if you're just asking me if I believe the word Trinity is scriptural, then the answer is no. But if you're asking me if I believe that God exists as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, then the answer is yes. I do believe that God exists as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So you think Jesus is God? I said, yes, I do. <laughs> Absolutely. I believe Jesus is God. Well, that's not what it says in the Bible. I said, well, I, I believe it does. He says, do you know Greek? I said, now I know he's going to try to out-educate me, right? He's going to try to intimidate me with his great level of education and knowledge of Greek. I said, as a matter of fact, I do know Greek. I studied Greek in college. I took three years of Greek. I took intro to Greek, beginning Greek, and advanced Greek. He said, oh, okay. He says, well, uh, he says, uh, <laughs> he hesitated for a moment until he could get his wits about him again. And then he said, well, well, in, uh, uh, well, where do you find that in the Bible? I said, well, several places. John 1 is a good example. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God, it says. And then it says the Word was made flesh, and we saw him. And he's talking about Jesus there. And he's saying the Word is Jesus who was made flesh, and we know him as Jesus in the flesh, but he was God made flesh. He and the Father are one, it says in Scripture. Well, that's not what it says in the original Greek. I said, well, I do believe it is. In fact, when I was in my Greek class in advanced Greek, I had to write a translation out of the Greek into the English of the Gospel of John. And I know that verse. And I know it says he was God. He says, no, it says he was a God. I said, no, A's not in there. It just says he was God. He says, you don't know your Greek very well. I said, okay, all right. I said, you're obviously, think of yourself as a great Greek scholar here. I said, well, let me ask you this question. Of all the translations of the Bible from the Greek, not one of them translated he was a God. Every single one of them that translated 
from the Greek say, and he was God. They don't put A in there. Why do you think that is? They don't know what they're doing. He said, what translation do you use? I said, well, I usually teach from the NIV. That's a terrible translation. I said, okay. Sometimes I use the New American Standard. That's an awful one, too. So sometimes I use the King James. Oh, that's a terrible translation. So I said, well, every major translation that's done directly from the Greek translated, he was God. Well, they're all wrong. All right. So here's what you have to know. When you've got somebody saying that, that for over 2,000 years, everybody else has gotten it wrong, and they're the only ones who got it right, then you can know for sure that's a false teacher. You can know it beyond any shadow of a doubt. Now, I knew I wasn't going to get anywhere with this guy. He ended up calling me a liar and hanging up on me. So that's the way that conversation ended up. Thankfully, I can honestly say that time I didn't lose my temper. There have been times. <laughs> All right. There have been times where I have, but that time I did not. But here's the thing. There are a lot of people who will get intimidated with somebody like that, a false teacher like that, and let them railroad them into something that's simply not true. We've got to do a better job of equipping ourselves, being alert to Satan's schemes, to false teachers out there to try to lift themselves up. When, uh, when my wife was uh, in banking many years before we moved here to Nashville, and even for a little while after we moved here, she worked in banking for a little while, they would have training in, in the bank for recognizing counterfeit money, right? And the way you are trained to recognize counterfeit money, the FBI trains people this way too, is you don't look at all the counterfeits. Now, sometimes they'll show you a counterfeit and say, can you tell me what's wrong with that? But, but that's not the way you learn to spot counterfeits. How do you learn to spark counterfeits? You look at the real deal. You get to know everything about the real deal. You know what to look for that signifies this is the real deal. This is legitimate money. Now, they've done a lot of things over the years to try to make money harder to counterfeit. One of the things they did a few years back was they put this thread through the paper money that will show up when you hold it up to the light, but it won't show up if it's just laying on the table there, right? So if you hold it up to the light, because a copier can't put the thread in there, right? It has to be in the paper itself that they print the money on. Now, counterfeiters have been able to get a hold of paper, like, you know, get paper like that too, so it makes it even harder. But, but that was one of the steps they took. And one of the ways you can find out if it's counterfeit is you hold it up to the light and see if that's there. And if you want to keep yourself from being deceived by a false teacher, you've got to be able to hold that teaching up to the light the light of Jesus, the truth about Jesus. Anything that doesn't match that, doesn't, anything you, you see in the light, it, it brings, it exposes the things that make it either true or not true. In John chapter 8 and verse 12, Jesus spoke again to the people. He said this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I want to encourage you. Make sure you hold up everything the world's telling you up to the light of Jesus. Everything the world's trying to get you to believe, hold it up to the light of Jesus. And what Jesus teaches about those things. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father but by me, through me. Hold everything up to the light of Jesus. Later on in John 8, verse 31, 32, Jesus said this. 
To the Jews who believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We get that out of order sometimes. Listen to what he says. If you hold to my teaching, then you're really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus said, I don't expect you just to blindly blindly believe my teachings. Here's what I want you to do. He's telling us the order. Hold to my teaching. That means follow my teaching. Put it into practice. When you do that, you're going to find out it's what? It's true. And when you find out it's true, it frees you up from all the false teaching out there and all the deception out there and all the the wrong paths that people are trying to take you down. You are free by the truth. And you know it's true. Why? Because you have lived it. You've put it into practice. You've done what Jesus called you to do. And you found him to be true and faithful every time. Let's pray together. Father, Father, we thank you that you have, you have given us the truth. See, that's what love does. Love embraces the truth. Love tells the truth. And you love us enough to tell us the truth about things. Father, I want to encourage all of us today that that want to follow you and and, and live for you, that we we would not be deceived, that we would... We would hold up the teachings of the world around us to the light of your truth so that we're not led astray. May we be a bride presented to you that is faithful to you and the truth that you've given us in your word. Father, every part of your word comes directly from your breath, your mouth, and it's true. May we, may we hold to the truth of your word live by it, and in love, share it with those around us. That's our prayer, that you would help us and encourage us in that effort. In Jesus' name, amen.